Welcome back to another edition of the Welcome to the Jungle podcast. We are in week eight of the 2021 NFL season. The Bengals are 5-2 and two in first place in the AFC North. Right now, they would be the number one seed in the AFC if the playoffs started today. Coming up, Justin Cashman and I will give you our first AFC power rankings of the season because of this, uh, whatever you call it, revelation. The Bengals being currently the number one seed in the AFC if the playoffs start today. Do we agree with that? We'll give you our AFC power rankings, a look ahead to this Sunday's game against the New York Jets, why I am daring to dream with this team. I'm not worried about any heartbreak that might come the Bengals' way. I think this Bengals team is far beyond the heartbreak of Bengals teams in the past. Justin Cashman joining me as always. I'm Alex Frank. Justin, the Bengals, what a time it is to be a Bengals fan. A very winnable game on Sunday at the New York Jets. It's the third of three straight road games. And... How about uh, the number one broadcasting crew for CBS calling the Bengals game against the Browns next Sunday in Cincinnati? Everything is just kind of falling into place right now. I mean, when you win games, you're going to have the national coverage. You're going to have the national media with all the eyes on you. And that's something that we haven't been accustomed to the last few years with the Bengals. But it's so nice to, you know, get on the Twitter, Instagram, and you see all these sports talk shows doing segments on the Bengals talking about how good Jamar Chase is, how he's a runaway uh, leader for offensive rookie of the year, how Joe Burrow is playing at a high level and this entire team is just everything is clicking right now and it is amazing to see and then you go into New York this weekend, one in five team with a backup quarterback starting and a team that's full of injuries and I mean it's just six and two is on the horizon and keeping that number one seed for the playoff picture is it's a uh, it's a good time to be a football fan in Cincinnati, including the Cincinnati Bearcats, who are on a roll right now, and uh, it is just an amazing time. And I know for you, hey, you've got your Ohio State Buckeyes ranked number five. They got a primetime game tomorrow night against Penn State. So really, the the whole state of Ohio, an exciting state to be in when it comes to football. You got the high school football playoff starting tonight in Cincinnati. So I mean, we're rocking and rolling here. So you mentioned. Um, all the national talk shows that have been talking about the Bengals. And, you know, going into last week, the whole thought of the Bengals can change the national narrative that has been in place for really five years, maybe longer than that. And I think they did change the national narrative. And, you know, if people are going to, if national sports outlets and talk shows are going to talk about the Bengals. They should because they went into Baltimore, who has been consistently one of the NFL's best teams for a long time, and they beat them by 24 points. It's not like they just went to Baltimore and won. They went into Baltimore and housed them. They beat them at their own game, essentially. So, of course, you're going to get, you're going to get some national... Publicity and we do care about it. We care about how our team when you are a diehard fan of a team Justin I think you care What national people are saying and when we heard about the national narrative for so long Well quarterbacks are a wasteland for Cincinnati and well, you know, whatever else it may be They can't protect Joe Burrow. They'll never win in the playoffs, whatever You're not hearing those things now. You're hearing about how Jamar Chase is that game-breaking player you're hearing how Joe Burrow, you know, managed in, uh, the Ravens blitz packages and was absolutely spectacular in the pocket on Sunday. You're hearing about, you know, 
how much improved the defense is. You're hearing about Zach Taylor and you know Burrow and Chase and and Taylor are on, are all are on these national talk shows, and you know you're seeing these media members like Kay Adams and Dan Orlovsky and Stephen A. Smith and Mike Tirico and even Mike Florio. They care about what's going on in Cincinnati, and Justin, you care about what people say on a national level about the level about the Bengals, right? Oh, of course, and I mean the only reason I do is because those are the people that everyone is listening to. I mean, there are a million people listening to small podcasts like this, as you know, as much as I wish there was. But there are millions of people watching Good Morning Football. There are millions of people watching ESPN in the morning or um, just any other sports talk show, and when they hear those guys actually giving praise to the Bengals and giving praise to the players and Zach Taylor. People are going to listen and take notice that this is a real team. This is a team that can contend this year, um, not just for the playoffs, but for maybe even a Super Bowl. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's the way that they're playing right now. Um, and us Bengals fans, we all know it. The guys that do the small pod, smaller podcasts uh, like ours and you know any other Bengals podcast, we all know it. But other people who aren't Bengals fans – they aren't really paying that much attention. You know, they're paying attention to their team or if they're not really that invested into the NFL, but, um, you know, they just, you know, maybe they do sports betting. Um, you know, they watch those shows because they want to know what's going on. They want to know who around the league is doing well. And they see, oh, Kay Adams is talking about how good Jamar Chase is. Oh, he's in the lead for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Okay, maybe I should pay attention to the Bengals because they're doing something that they haven't done in a long time, and that's be playoff bound. And so it's amazing to watch people actually take notice of the Bengals because um, we always see it almost every single week. Uh, the years that we're doing bad is just people uh, crapping on the Bengals on the national media and telling, um, you know, telling everyone that Zach Taylor needs to lose his job or, vice or whatever it may be. Um, and it's frustrating. And us Bengals fans, for a long time, I've had to deal with that. So now that we actually have that positive coverage, it's just – it's an amazing feeling, to be honest. I, I found myself reveling in all that n positive national coverage, even though, like, normally after a game, I, I quickly turn my focus to, or I try to, uh, to the next opponent as a fan, because in years past, it would have been, well, the Bengals won a big game, but, you know, then they would, you know, turn back around and lose to, I don't know. Like, remember, Justin, 2013, the Bengals beat the Packers at home, a come-from-behind victory, and then they go on the road to Cleveland, and they lose the next week, and, you know... You go, it's this, you know, polar opposites. You go from a, a high of a win over Green Bay and then a low, a, a loss to Cleveland. But, you know, what What I'm finding myself, you know, my involvement this week is, you know, my first thought was, well, great, we beat the Ravens the way we did. But, oh my gosh, what happens if the Bengals lose to the Jets? But then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, you know, not think like that. Because I think this team is different. I think that th this team, Justin, I can only think of two players, and there may be there may be more, but I can think of only two players that were on the team in 2015, the last time this team made the playoffs, Kevin Huber and Clark Harris. So a lot of your core players, they don't know, you know, losing in fashion like the Bengals, like Huber and Harris do. This team is this team is so far removed from losing games like the Bengals used to lose in 2015, 14. I mean, even in the years where they made five straight playoff runs, how many times did they lose a game 
that would make you want to pull your hair out. This team doesn't do that. This team has just continually built off of what they did the previous week. They shut, you know, they got a quote unquote moral victory against Green Bay. They didn't melt down against Detroit. They didn't let that loss beat them two games in a row. They went into Detroit. They took care of business, blew out a bad team, and then they followed it up with the next big game on the schedule at Baltimore. And they not only won, but they won convincingly. This team, as Richard Skinner said last night on the Roundtable Show, this team has turned a corner. Sorry if someone's trying to call me. This team, it feels different. I, You know, I'm not anticipating a heartbreak coming. I'm really not. Now, let me ask you this. I lost my train of thought there. I was going to ask you, with all this, um, with all these national sports talk shows that are talking positively about the Bengals, um, I'll, I'll ask you this, actually. When they talked about how Zach Taylor should lose his, should have lost his job last year, Lou Anarumo, defensive coordinator as well. Did you think that after the season last year? Yes and no. I mean, I thought that, you know, it's only the second year of Zach Taylor's uh, head coaching career. I mean, yeah, he only has won six games. Um, he obviously has not done a very good job with, uh, you know, certain players, player management, um, you know, i.e. Carlos Dunlap, uh, Sean Williams, that kind of thing, who uh, lashed out on Twitter against the organization. But, you know, he turned it around. And I think that's why he's done a great job. Um him and his coaching staff, coaching staff, excuse me, of doing this year is, you know, they obviously it's it's impossible to completely block out all the media coverage and the bad things that people are saying about you and the team, but you try and cancel it out as much as you can. I think that's that that's what Zach Taylor has done a phenomenal job of this year is making sure that the players don't listen to that too much and it's just you know do what you can do uh, every single day, every single game. Um, you know, whatever anyone says about you, don't listen to it. You know what kind of player you are. You know what kind of team this is. And we're going to perform, and we're going to prove them wrong. And so I think that's what, more than winning games, is just keeping these players in the right mindset and on track um, to just not get too caught up in that kind of stuff and just focus on their next opponent being 1-0 every single week. You know, it's we, I talked about this last week. You know, all the positivity we heard from Zach Taylor in those first two seasons. And it was so frustrating after, like, you know, the first year after they went 0-5. Or last year after they lost, you know, what, five straight games at one point, including when Joe Burrow went down. And you saw Zach Taylor try to rally this team when Joe Burrow went down. You saw the body language of the players. And at that point in time, remember that bombshell report, Justin, from Elise Jesse about how, you know, the locker room was, you know, Zach Taylor had completely lost the locker room. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. And what what, what do we say? We agreed with it, right? Because we thought what we were seeing was true. Yeah, I mean, it turned out to just be, I think, a couple of players, and that got turned around to be, okay, it's almost all in the locker room. We just got caught up in that. And it's interesting because you see these teams around the league. They don't care if they have injuries. 
if they aren't performing, they're going to fire a head coach. They're going to get a new coordinator. They're going to draft, you know, whomever. You know, they're not going to use injuries as an excuse. I'm not saying the Bengals did that, but it is it is rational thinking. And I read this yesterday from Paul Daner Jr. in The Athletic. You know, they, they attributed a lot of the struggles last year to injuries, especially on defense. When you think about DJ Reader and Sam Hubbard being injured, when you think about um, who else was injured last year, those were the two mainstays on, on, on defense. But then you go to offense and you see that um, CJ Uzama wasn't, you know, he only, he, he got hurt week two. Joe Mixon got hurt week six. So I'm not saying that they used injuries as an excuse, but they did rationalize and say, you know what? If our team can stay healthy, we can be pretty good. And they bet on that. They bet on that. They bet on development of Jermaine Pratt, Logan Wilson, and Akeem Davis-Gaither, who have been really solid this season. They bet on the offensive line of Quentin Spain and a free agent of Riley Reef and Frank Pollock. So all these questions that were in, and this was the point of Paul Danner Jr.'s uh, article yesterday. The point, they, you know... All the debates and the questions that this team faced in the offseason, they've answered them correctly for the most part. And I do think that, you know, injuries are obviously a key um, factor into how a team does. I mean, don't get me wrong, that is going to greatly impact your team. But you look at a team like the Tennessee Titans this year who have placed the most players on IR in their first in AFC South, which, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a weak division, but they're 5 and 2. Um, and anytime you have to have the most players in the NFL on R- on IR, it's not going to be easy for you. But Mike Vrabel has really got that team going, and they're third in the AFC playoff rankings right now. So I think another thing is Zach Taylor, he didn't want to just use injuries as an excuse as to why they're losing games. And it's very easy to blame it on injuries. It's very easy to say the team has not had success because of injuries. But you look at teams like the Titans, it's because they have a coaching staff that is preaching a culture and preaching a mindset to all the players that whether you're the first, second, third, fourth man up, you have to play at a high level. It doesn't matter where you are on the depth chart. Uh, any given week, you could be the starter, and people are going to rely on you. And so if you're third on the depth chart and you're not looking like you're going to be a starter, oh, well, now a guy's on the COVID list. Now a guy tours ACL, and now you're the starter. So you have to be relied on at all times. And that's what this team has done a great job of the past few off seasons is building depth at those important marquee positions that they've especially struggled with injuries at. Um, And so when you have depth and you have all the coaches preaching the same mindset and the same culture to the players every single day, that's really is one. That's really is. That's really what is going to get a team going and going to put them in a, uh, prime spot to make the playoffs and it's interesting that you know when the Bengals are winning like they are now it's so easy to see what they've been doing you see what they've been doing with adding guys like Davis Gaither in the draft um Drew Sample in the draft two years ago it was so easy you know it wasn't easy to see what they were doing when they added a guy like Ricardo Allen or Jadobia Wuzie or whatever you know because when you're losing and you're frustrated you can't really see the positives that this team is doing. But now, because it's winning and because it's working out, you do see it. And you mentioned a team like the Tennessee Titans. They have depth. You know, 
you wouldn't know that they have a lot of players on injured reserve because they are so fundamentally sound and they are so good. And their defense has been uh, improving over the last three weeks. I mean, they, they shut down Kansas City's offense for crying out loud. But the other thing I think too, Justin, is this. I was thinking about this yesterday. The one thing about Mike Brown and his ownership is that he's going to give a head coach and his and I think the head coach is going to give his coaching staff time and patience to build a resume and you know make a name for yourself. Zach Taylor comes in th- two years ago. You didn't really know a lot about him other than that he came from Sean McVay's coaching staff, which now looks really good. But now you're seeing you know all these connections that Zach Taylor has as a quarterback. He's known Joe Burrow and his family for a long time. You know, his father-in-law's Mike Sherman, who used to coach the Packers, took them to the playoffs in 2004. So it's not like Zach Taylor's a no-name head coach. He's slowly building a name for himself, and with that, eventually he's going to come, you know, a coaching tree. I was thinking about this last night. You know, is Lou Anarumo going to be in the running for a head coaching job soon? Is Brian Callahan going to be in the running for a head coaching job soon? Are position coaches going to be coordinators? You know, now that you're winning... We're gonna we'll get to that I'm sure you know later on in the season as this as this team continues to win hopefully but it's just you know the patience that this front office has shown and it was so easy to disregard it and crap all over it and I think we did because we were so frustrated because we the Bengals have not won a playoff game since 1990 winning takes care of everything and you're seeing that now with this team all right so what we're gonna do is um. The Bengals are currently the number one seed in the AFC playoffs if the season ended today. I don't really know if I think the Bengals are the best team in the AFC. I think they're certainly one of the best. So what we're going to do is Justin and I are going to Justin and I here are going to rank our top seven teams. We'll start at seven, work our way up to one. Our top seven teams in the AFC. Seven teams in each conference make the playoffs. So this is the first edition of our AFC power rankings. Justin, we'll start with number seven. We'll start with you. Who is your seventh best team in the AFC right now? Right now, I'd have to say the Browns. They're sitting at four and three, third in the AFC North, which, as we all know, the Bengals are in that division, and it's one of the toughest divisions in all of football. And despite injuries, they've had this, you know, game where they've missed Baker Mayfield, games where they've missed both their starting offensive tackles, games where they've missed so many key players, they are still sitting at four and three. Uh, Case Keenum started last Thursday night against uh, the Denver Broncos, and not saying that the Denver Broncos are uh, a great team, but you know, anytime you have a backup quarterback coming on in a primetime game, I don't think expectations are very high. But you know, they still managed to win that game. I like Kevin Stefanski a lot as a head coach. I think that uh, once he gets his guys back healthy, this team could be a very dangerous team uh, as they get closer to the playoffs. So I'll have them at seven right now. I agree with you, and uh, um, you know, the Browns. They had some high expectations coming into the season. I didn't really know if they were going to live up to them. I think through the first four weeks, for the most part, they did. They lose a close one of the Chargers. Their defense looked awful in that game. They looked awful against Arizona. But their win on Thursday night last week against Denver was a culture win to me. And you're seeing the culture of, we are a run-first team. We're going to run the football. We're going to utilize what we're going to do, what we do best, which is run the ball behind the best offensive line in the NFL. We're going to play defense. We're going to, you know, make it a ground and pound game. We're going to hold the ball for as long as we can. That was a culture win. And you're seeing that it doesn't matter who was playing. 
you know, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Baker Mayfield were all out of the game. Dearness Johnson, first start, has a tremendous performance. Case Keenum filled in admirably for Baker Mayfield. But I, 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 I just don't know if what they have talent-wise on offense, defensively, I don't think they're as good as people make them out to be. Miles Garrett, we know he's great. Um, Jadavian Clowney's been up and down. He's had some good moments. Uh, they live off of creating turnovers. The problem is they just haven't done that uh, very much this season. That's why I have the Browns at number seven. Is their game Sunday, Justin, against Pittsburgh a must-win for Cleveland? I think it's a must-win. It's a game that they should win, in my opinion, with the with this. It should have been playing definitely better than what they were at the, be- at the beginning of the year, but, um, you know, I still think that the Browns should win that game. Um, you know, they're getting Baker Mayfield back who I think will be, a, you know, obviously a very good improvement to this offensive, um, you know, to this offense of uh, the Browns. And Big Ben hasn't been playing very well, so I think this defense can very much capitalize off of Big Ben's poor play so far this year. And so, yes, I would say it is a must win. Pittsburgh 3-3, three and three, Cleveland 4-3, and three, Sunday game, 1 o'clock on CBS. Jim Nance, Tony Romo, Tracy Wolfson on the call from Cleveland. Um, number six, Justin, in your power rankings. I think number six and five are kind of interchangeable for me, um, but I'm going to pit uh, the Raiders there. Um, I do like what they've done so far this year, especially with the whole good John Gruden situation. Uh, now having an interim head coach in Rich Bas- Rich uh, I don't, I, Rich Basaccia. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Rich Basaccia. Um, they have done a very good job in the absence of John Gruden. I think the players are playing much more relaxed, much more confidently. They don't have the guy screaming in their ear every single time they do something poorly. Um, I think the culture is probably a little bit different now that John Gruden's uh, out, and I think the players are very much enjoying that and taking advantage of that. And, uh, you know, they're winning, and that's always a good thing for them. So I'll have them at number six. You mentioned a key word, their culture. The last two games, they have played some really good football with an interim head coach. Derek Carr has been unbelievably accurate. He doesn't make too many mistakes. He's got a plethora of weapons to throw the ball to. I'm not going to get too much into them yet. Number six for me is going to be the L.A. Chargers. Now, I know people might think I should have them higher, but here's the thing with the Chargers. They have got they, they have four wins this season. Justin Herbert's been spectacular. I'm not saying he hasn't. But the problem is when they run into a defense that can rush the quarterback and that can take the ball away, they have not shown up offensively. And I'm talking about games against Dallas and Baltimore, two teams who have really good defenses, and Justin Herbert has not played overly well in those games. Remember that controversial big sack he took, Justin, in game in week two against the Cowboys? If he doesn't take that sack, that game might turn out differently. And against Baltimore, he struggled mightily. The Chargers' offense could not get anything going against that defense. So I have the Chargers at number six in my power rankings. I'm going to put the Chargers at five for myself. Um, like I said, they're interchangeable, but the Chargers did beat the Raiders by two touchdowns. Now, I do think the Raiders team was very different at that time. Uh, they weren't quite in sync. Um, Derek Carr wasn't playing as high of a, as high of a level as he, are, as he is right now. Um, I think that could be very, very much interchangeable, but I do like Brandon Staley a lot as a head coach. I do think Herbert is one of the best young quarterbacks in all of football. Um, and I think they'll be just fine moving forward. They did get absolutely blown out by the Ravens. Um, it went down to the wire with the Browns. But, you know, they've only lost by three. One of the best teams in all of football right now. Um, 
So I do think that they will be fine. They'll still make the playoffs um, and do very well. But, um, you know, they do need to make a lot of improvements if they want to, you know, be uh, rated higher. Brandon Staley, the one thing I like about him is is he's aggressive and he's not afraid to take big risks. And we saw that against the Browns. We saw that against the Chiefs. Uh, He and Justin Herbert have meshed really well together. So it'll be very interesting to see how far that team goes this season, if they're able to sustain what, you know, what is a really good start to the season. Speaking of Baltimore, they're my number five team. You know what you're going to get with Baltimore. And I, and I don't think, Justin, that, you know, their blowout loss to the Bengals says who they are totally. I think it's going to turn out to be just a bad game, if you want my honest opinion. You know, you know who you have on Lamar Jackson. You know he's going to get 300 yards a game by himself. They have a, a, a they have a very, they have a, excuse me, a much improved uh, group of skilled players. Running backs are banged up. Defensively, I question them. They've given up now. They've let three quarterbacks throw for 400 yards against them this season. Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, and Joe Burrow. So their defense's inability to you know to contain big big time quarterbacks. Their rush defense has been solid, but the Bengals exposed exploited that. You know, I don't know how formidable this Ravens team is defensively. Offensively, I think they're fine. They just had a bad game. Are injuries going to catch up to them? That's the question. Ravens at number five. Number four for you. Number four for me is going to be the Ravens. I agree with you. I do think it was just a bad game. Uh, we all know what Lamar Jackson is. We all know what this offense is capable of and this team is capable of. I think uh, John Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in all of football. I don't think he's going to let them get hung over from this. I don't think that he's going to let them, um, you know, get too down on themselves. They do have a bye week this week, so I think that's going to be really crucial for them to make the necessary changes that they need to make. Um, but I'm never going to count out Lamar Jackson. I'm never going to, you know, say that he's, you know, people have figured him out and are going to be able to stop him now after just one bad game. Um, that's not going to happen. He's so good. He's too good to let that happen. Um, so I'm going to put them at number four. Ravens are on a bye this week, as you mentioned. I think, Justin, and um, this was said last night on the Roundtable Show, 700 WLW. I think the Ravens, they are going to come in ready to play against the Bengals Week 16 in Cincinnati. I mean, th- that game, they they will find a way to make an adjustment. Now, if Jamar Chase can somehow overcome it, which I think he can, you know, then it will all be for naught. But I think the Ravens will come ready to play at Cincinnati Week 16. Number four is where implications too for that game. Oh, I, I think it totally will. You look at both teams' schedules. Uh, Baltimore's got who? They got Minnesota, Miami, Chicago, um, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and then I forget who they play Week 15. But I'm I, I'm suddenly blanking on who they play Week 15. But I think it might be Green Bay actually. Anyway, the Ravens have a very winnable schedule. The Bengals have a winnable schedule. So yeah. Massive playoff implications. Speaking of the Bengals, this is where I have them. Number four. Um, you know, they obviously made it a statement of Baltimore. They're no longer a pushover. They're here to play. They're a division leader right now. But I just I just think, Justin, because I know who I have in the other division winners or division leaders right now, and the Bengals, you know, I think they will be able to sustain the success. But I got to be journalistic here and ask the question, Are they going to be able to build off of this win? If they do, I will probably raise them in my power rankings in weeks to come. Right now, I think number four is a good place to put them because they're new to the division leader. They haven't led the division 
this late into a season since 2018. And how good was that 2018 team really? We all know the answer to that. They ended up being 6-10. and 10. I think this team is significantly better offensively, definitely better defensively. If they build off of this win, they'll go up in my power rankings. I got them at number four for now. Number three. I'm going to have to go with Cincinnati as well. I mean, I can't put them at number one. Um, I would like to see them do a little bit more offensively. Not saying that they haven't been getting better and better every single week offensively. Not to say that they don't have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all the weapons that they do. They've done a fantastic job making the necessary adjustments that they've needed to make um, to start putting up 30, 40-plus points a game. But on a neutral site, uh, playing against the two teams who I think are number one and two in the AFC, I think the Bengals lose both of those games. Um, this defense is playing at a spectacular level. Trey Henderson is everything more that we, he thought that we thought he would be. Um, well worth the money. And, um, you know, I do think that if they beat the Jets, go in there, beat them like how they did against Detroit a couple weeks ago. I will move them up, but that is obviously to be seen. Number three, I am going to go with the Raiders. Um, I'm a believer in this team. I've liked what I've seen from this team, and they really caught my eye in week one when they beat the Ravens on Monday Night Football and how well they moved the ball against the Ravens defense, who we thought was going to be great against the pass. Turns out they haven't been. Derek Carr has eight to ten weapons to throw the ball to, not just Darren Waller. They're not one-dimensional offensively. They're multidimensional. They're unpredictable. If they run the football with Josh Jacobs and or Kenyon Drake, they are very tough to defend offensively. The culture you mentioned earlier, Justin, it is, you know, much healthier now than it was a couple weeks ago when John Gruden and that whole saga occurred. Rich Basashi has done a great job keeping that team together. Defensively, they're not great. I think they're okay. They have somewhat of a pass rush. You know, if they get into a shootout with Kansas City or whomever else they're playing, can they win consistently? But I like what I'm seeing from this Raiders team. Offensively, they're really good. Defensively, they can improve just a little bit. This is a playoff team, potentially a division-winning team. I got them at number three. Number two for me is going to be Buffalo. And we all know what Buffalo can do on offense. Josh Allen, one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Um, I'd like to see more out of their defense. Uh, not to say that they've been playing poorly, but I think if their defense can step up a little bit, this team can be nearly unstoppable and can be almost any team in the entire NFL. Um, they have all the weapons necessary on offense. They do. They, I mean, they really can uh, put up 30, 40 points on almost any team in the NFL. Um, but I, I just can't put them over the number one team, a team that they lost to, which I think they could have very easily won had it not been for a fourth and one Josh Allen slip. Um, but but that, I'll get to that in a minute. All right, so we're going to differ here because I'm going to put Tennessee at number two. Um, I, I love the way they play. They are fundamentally sound offensively. They're improving defensively. Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry's on a different stratosphere right now when it comes to running backs. The thing that stands out to me, their physicality. When your skill players are 6'2", and they average 230 pounds, my goodness, how are you able to defend? Uh, how are you able to, you know, go toe-to-toe with an offense like that? Someone mentioned it um, earlier this week. If Tennessee gets, I think it might have been, um, might have been Rex Ryan, Ryan Clark, or Dan Orlovsky on get up. If they get a lead, they are very tough to play against. Um, Ryan Tannehill is a better quarterback than he's given credit for. Their skill players are coming around. A.J. Brown, uh, Michael Pruitt, Anthony Ferkser, um, anybody else? Julio Jones has, has, has done better recently. So 
There is a lot to like with this Tennessee team. I know they beat Buffalo and Kansas City, but strictly with the Buffalo game, they were outplayed, outgained, and if it's not for a slip by Josh Allen, they might lose that game. You know, they have a very favorable schedule the rest of the way. They win this week against the Colts, I think. I think they're going to win every other game but one, quite frankly, maybe lose another game. This is a this is a team that is very dangerous, and you don't want to play them right now. And I completely agree with you, and that's why I'm putting them at number one, because every single week people are waiting for Derrick Henry to have that game where, oh, he's not going to go for 100 yards. Oh, he's not going to throw another 300-pound defensive lineman with a stiff arm to the ground. Oh, he's not going to do this and that. But every single week he proves everyone wrong, and he does it again. Um, and you mentioned that they have a plethora of weapons, um, so they don't always have to pit the load on Derrick Henry. The only thing is, can A.J. Brown and Julio Jones stay healthy? They've dealt with injuries so far this year. Um, so if two of those guys, or you know, even one of them, uh, isn't in the game, I think it definitely impacts their offense a lot because it's going to be hard for Derrick Henry to run the ball 25, 30 times a game. Um, even though we've seen him do it, can he do it for a 17-game schedule? We'll see, and maybe even into the playoffs. But you mentioned it earlier, the defense is playing better and better every single week. Uh, they are in a weak division, so I'm not going to say that they're um, you know, playing the best of the best every single week. Um, but when they get a lead, you said it's going to be tough to stop them, and they're almost never going to give it up. So at number one for me is going to be the Tennessee Titans. You bring up a great point there. They don't get to play some marquee games in their division, so it's important for them to take advantage when they play teams like Buffalo and Kansas City which they have. They also beat Seattle on the road. I know Seattle's 2-5. and five. A lot of that's due to Russell Wilson not playing. So that's a good win there. They went up against Arizona. They got blown out by them, but that's only their really bad loss this season. Um, my number one team in the AFC is still Buffalo. I know you and I disagree here because you're, you're saying because Tennessee beat Buffalo, they're the number one team in your AFC power rankings. That's fine. I, 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 I can justify that. But for me, when I look at Buffalo, their four wins... My goodness, 35 nothing, 43-21, 30 uh, 40-0 against Houston, and then 38-20 at Kansas City. I don't care if Kansas City's bad or not. When you beat the def- the two-time defending AFC champions by 18 in their home stadium, which is historically a very tough place to play, you're a very, very good football team. Josh Allen is a big-time quarterback. Their defense is much better this year than it was last year. And, oh, by the way, it was pretty good last year. And they... they beat the teams they should they blow teams out their only loss of this season was because of a bad five minute sequence at home against Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh eh, I don't really know who they are it's not a good loss but at the same time is it a bad loss I don't really think so and then they lose to Tennessee which there's no shame in that Tennessee is very tough to beat at home as we've seen and they lost because you know Josh Allen slipped on fourth down and Tennessee took advantage of some mistakes so you know I still think Buffalo's the best team in this conference. They have some marquee games still left to play. So those are the AFC power rankings for us. Um, there is a game on Sunday, right? I think so. I think the Bengals might be playing on Sunday. I mean, we, you wouldn't know probably by listening to this, but I mean, they definitely do. Well, I mean, what what is there to talk about the New York Jets? I'll say this. Um, Watching them play, Justin, it looks like how the Bengals looked two. They look like how the Bengals looked two years ago. So we know the feeling that Jets fans have, right? Oh yeah, I mean they're in shambles right now. They have a rookie head coach in Robert Sala, um, who came from a very successful team, similar to Zach Taylor, came from a Super Bowl team um, in the Rams. But they're just 
they're all confused right now. They have a rookie quarterback who's hurt, who's going to miss several weeks. And, uh, you know, defensively and offensively, they just haven't been able to figure it out. No, they haven't. And you, and you hear and you read all these, you know, articles of how the Jets, you know, were so positive going into their bye week. They beat Tennessee. They hang tough with Atlanta overseas. And, you know, we, you know, they kept saying, well, we're going to get this fixed. We're going to score in the first quarter. We're going to, you know, whatever. And then they lose to New England 54 to 13. And it's not like they're facing a Patriots team from 2016. No, they're playing New England of 2021, a team with a rookie quarterback that has maybe 20% of the roster left from Super Bowl 53 just three years ago. This is a bad Jets team. We're not going to sugarcoat that. But it's still an important game. Your keys to the game. My keys to the game, number one, obviously protect the franchise from Joe Burrow. Um, that's always going to be the number one. Number two is just don't make any silly mistakes because any team in the NFL, no matter how bad or good they are, similar to when we played the Detroit Lions, you make silly mistakes. And these teams that you think are bad that haven't won a game or only won one game are going to take advantage of you um, offensively. And it's going to be um, you know, too close for comfort at the end. Uh, number three is just spread the ball out. Don't put the ball in one or two guys' hands the entire game. Um, you know, you have the advantage of playing against a very, very poor defense. Um, and I have the stats up. Passing defense are 25th in the NFL, giving up 275 passing yards a game, 127.5 rushing yards per game. Um, so just spread the ball out more. Obviously, get the ball in uh, CJ Uzama's hands. Try and get your sample of the ball. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Auden Tate is questionable for this game. Get the ball in Trent Irwin's hands a little bit. Um, I'm assuming that we should be able to get a pretty early lead. Um, so I don't think that'd be too big of a problem, but, you know, pull your guys when necessary and just make sure they spread the ball out. So one or two guys aren't getting the bulk of the carries or the touches. Well, here's some stats for you. Uh, with how bad the New York, with how bad the New York Jets are, they have yet to score in the first quarter this season. I repeat, they have yet to score in the first quarter this season. They've been outscored 44 to nothing in the first half. They've been outscored 106 to 20. Now, how they've gotten 20 points in the first half is a question I have. When you look at some of the games they've played. Now, obviously, we won't see Zach Wilson this week. Second round pick in the draft this year out of BYU. He's had some good moments this season. Tennessee. But the Jets, like, they, they don't do the easy things well. They don't, you know, some. this was talked about in the broadcast last week of their game against New England. They do the hard things well. Well, that's great. But when it comes to just, you know, picking up a first down on second and one, they don't do it well. And it's kind of like the Bengals. You know, how the Bengals can hit so many big plays but struggle to get the easy yards. I think they did a little bit of a better job, a little bit of a better job of doing that against Baltimore. You mentioned it, Justin. Number one key, protect the franchise. That goes without saying. By the way, offseason debate of Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell, um, seven sacks in the last five games. And... The Bengals drafted Jamar Chase. I think they got that right. Um, and the offensive line has been much improved. Give them major credit. Protect the franchise. Number two, going along with what you said, Justin, you know, getting out to a big lead. Avoid long stretches where you don't score. Don't have four straight three and outs like you did against Detroit. You know, just stop on the Jets' throats. Go up 20 to nothing in the first half. Go in the locker room. Come out. Score on your first two drives in the second half. Get Brandon Allen in the game. And let Joe Burrow hang out on the sidelines in a baseball cap. That's what needs to happen. And then number three, unleash Joe Mixon. This is a game Joe Mixon can absolutely run the football against the Jets. 
they can't stop the run, like you mentioned. C.J. Mosley's been hurt. C.J. Mosley's been out. And, you know, you look at the, the ability to bounce outside, go up the middle, whatever. They cannot stop the run. Those are my three keys to the game. Let's get to some score predictions. Justin, what do you got? I don't think this one will be close. Um, I could definitely see the Bengals putting up 40 points again. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that they're going to be put in a position where they can put in the backups uh, pretty early into the fourth quarter. So I'm going uh, uh, to say 34-13. I don't think it's going to be close. Um, and I think the Bengals will just punish the Jets on a Sunday. I agree with you. I'll go a little bit higher and say 38-13. to 13. The over, uh, the, the line on the game is Bengals at 10 and a half. Not sure what the over-under is, but I think the Bengals will cover, and the Bengals will score a lot of points. Joe Burrow will throw for maybe three touchdowns a game for the fourth straight time on the road. Bengals will go to 6-2. and two. Never thought we'd be saying that at the start of the season, heading into a marquee game against Cleveland next week. All right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, Justin, real quick, another game you're looking forward to on the NFL slate this weekend. Definitely Pittsburgh and Cleveland. I mean, divisional game, two teams that do not like each other. Baker Mayfield's coming back from injury. Um, can the Steelers turn it around? I mean, we'll see. They've been playing better. Uh, Cleveland, yeah, they won that primetime game against the Broncos with a backup quarterback, but you're playing the Broncos, who have not been very good this year. They started off hot 3-0, but now they're just not very good at all. Um, so, very fun game. Obviously, um, you know, impacts the Bengals a lot as far as divisional records. Um, and then another game that actually I'm looking forward to, I think that will be very close, uh, closer than what I think a lot of people might think, is Tennessee and Indianapolis. Indianapolis is playing, they're hot right now. They're playing very, very well. And I could see them against Tennessee keep that close and, uh, you know, maybe even winning that game. Indianapolis, one of those teams that started a little bit slow, but you saw the potential there with Carson Wentz. By the way, Justin, did you know that he's only thrown one interception this season? Just one. Just one interception this season. I honestly did not know that. That's surprising. And the way the Colts play football. They play very similar to Tennessee. They don't turn the ball over. I'll give you two games. I agree with Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Um, obviously, you we know the playoffs last year. Cleveland beat Pittsburgh pretty convincingly in their own stadium. But I'll give you two games on the NFC side. Give me Tampa Bay and New Orleans. I think New Orleans is going to pull an upset here. I just see this game being a midseason game Tampa Bay loses. And when I look at New Orleans, you know, they haven't put it all together yet. Jameis Winston's been better than you might think. They have Alvin Kamara. They have now Mark Ingram. Mark West Callaway's been solid for them on the receiving end. Traquan Smith, the defense showed up big time in Seattle with Demario Davis leading the way, the linebacker. I think they pull an upset in New Orleans this Sunday. And then the Sunday night game, Dallas-Minnesota. I really like that game. I think it's going to be very close. You know, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys have been prolific offensively, but so too have Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Two teams coming off a bye. How do they fare? And how does Dak Prescott fare with the calf injury he sustained at New England? Justin, as always, great to be joined by you. Um, Bengals, Jets, Sunday, 1 o'clock, CBS, Kevin Harlan, Trent Green, Melanie Collins on the call once again, uh, second straight week. 700 WLW, ESPN 1530, 1027 WEBN, the last two stations I mentioned, the flagship home, the flagship stations for the Bengals Radio Network, Dan Horde, Dave Lapham on the call, 1 o'clock kickoff. Pre-game coverage starts at 9, 700 WLW and ESPN 1530 with pre-game sports talk hosted by Ken Brew. Justin, you and I will be back Sunday night or Monday to recap the game, and we will talk to you then.